Good morning. If you would, grab a Bible. Let's turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16, we'll be spending all our time in that place this morning. Acts chapter 16. Appreciate Drew, and uh, I don't know how to follow that. Wow. What a song that is and a uh, story that is. A uh, little uh, uh, tense now. I don't know how to, uh, how to do my job now, but uh, very, very uh, inspiring, uplifting song and fits very well with what we're going to talk about uh, for our time this morning. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you so much for being here. For those who are joining us online or in other forms, we appreciate your attention and your focus on spiritual things. We'd love to be of service to you. If there's some way we can help you, please reach out to us and let us know about that. I want to begin by reading in Acts 16 and verse 19. Acts 16 and verse 19. It says, But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So something horrible has happened here. You just wouldn't know it from the reaction of Paul and Silas. They are brutally beaten without trial, without even any questioning, just because some people got mad and made some accusations about them. And then they are locked up in prison. So they start singing and praying. Now, I don't know about you, but I am challenged by that because I am the kind of person who struggles to respond properly when I experience even minor hardship, pain, or difficulty. And so it raises a question for me, which is, what makes you sing songs in a prison cell? And I want to think about that for a few minutes this morning. What makes you sing in a prison cell? What we're going to find this morning is that Paul and Silas are connected to a deeper set of spiritual truths that help buoy them through difficult times. Even though bad things are happening, that's not what's on their mind. They have their heads in the right place. And I want us to think about what those truths might be and how they might transform our response when we experience difficulty or hardship in our own lives. So the first thing I would say is that even when you're in a prison cell, there is still joy. So I want to remind you for context's sake what Paul and Silas are doing in Philippi. Remember that Paul, and, Paul has received a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so they have traveled to Macedonia. No one has ever preached the gospel in this region as far as we know. And they come first to Philippi. There are not even enough Jews in Philippi to have a synagogue, which is normally where Paul would go. So instead they go to a place where women are meeting by the river for prayer. And there they meet Lydia. Lydia is baptized. And Lydia says, you guys come stay at my house. And so they have a base to work from in Philippi. But as they're traveling day after day around the town, this little girl who is a, a slave of some other men who has a spirit of divination, she keeps following them around and saying, hey, these guys are servants of the Most High God. They're proclaiming the way of salvation. So Paul is so annoyed 
Which, by the way, have you ever been so annoyed that you had to cast out someone's demon? Don't you hate it when that happens? Paul is so annoyed that he cast the demon out of the girl. And so the demon comes out and the owners of the girl are so mad that they stir up the city and they bring them in front of the city magistrates. And what, what comes after that is just a ruckus where the crowd is tearing at them. There, there's a lot of racial talk. These men are Jews and they've come here and they're teaching these awful things. And now, now what's going to happen? They're trying to get us to rebel against Rome and serve another king. And so eventually, they're not only affected by the crowd, but they're also ordered by the magistrates to be beaten with rods. And they're thrown in prison, not just in prison, they're put in the stocks, verse 24 says, so that they can't even move their feet. Their wounds are not even washed. So just imagine, after being stripped of all your clothes and being beaten with rods, you are probably bleeding and swollen, and now you're put in a place where you're, you're not cleaned up at all. You're thrown in prison and locked up where you can't move. And that's when they start singing and praying. This is a tremendous injustice. Something they absolutely do not deserve. They are hurt and they are shamed. And so they start singing. What Paul and Silas know is that even when things are bad, there is still joy. This is the same Paul who, writing later from a different prison cell, writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Now, for Paul, that joy goes back to his sense of personal redemption. Remember, Jesus saved me. He talks about that in 1 Timothy that we talked about last week, that I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent opponent, but he had mercy on me. And so Paul says, I can always rejoice because I am in the Lord. It's what we sang about. It is well with my soul because my sin, not in part, but the whole is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. It's not mine. So I rejoice in the Lord even when bad things happen. There is joy because no matter what these men do to Paul, he's still right with God. He's still saved. But I want to remind you what Paul and Silas know, which is that all hardship has a context, and the context is that most of the time, things go really well for us. This is what Job says about that, Job 2 and verse 10, shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil, or yours might say something like difficulty or hardship? Think about that. Shall we receive good from God, and not accept it when he gives us something not good? The reason hardship is hardship is because most of the time we have easy ship. Most of the time things are pretty good. And do you know what? We don't even think about it. Now hardship, we think about it. We put that in the big letters, the headlines. I'm going through something. But how many things do we accept from God without even thinking about it? Did you think about it when you woke up this morning? Did you think about it when you saw the sun shining? Did you think about it when you took a breath? When you ate breakfast? Do you think about it when you had power in your home? When we come here and this building has comfortable climate? Do you think about it when you drove in a car to get here and you were safe all the way here? Do you think about it when we had a road system that got us here? How many things just on a morning like this morning do we accept and accept and accept and accept? And then when anything goes haywire, when there's the slightest inconvenience, what do we do? We whine and complain. Shall we accept good from God and not accept adversity? 
Taking joy in its context means recognizing that almost all the time we experience good from God. So when something bad, something goes wrong, can't we say, I'm still going to rejoice. There's still joy. And so what the New Testament does, and this startled me this week, I'll just be honest, because it happens so many times in the New Testament. What the New Testament does is say, let's rejoice in our suffering. And I just want to show you these. I'm just going to put them on the board. But I want you to feel the momentum of all of these passages together. Luke 6, words of Jesus. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. When was the last time you leapt for joy? Jesus says, leap for joy because you're being persecuted. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Acts 5.41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That is after they had been beaten by the Sanhedrin. This is James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Romans 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And then Romans 12, 12, this could be a great synopsis of our passage, by the way, them singing in prison. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Over and over again, these are not all the passages that stress joy in suffering. Let me just tell you what that means to me. It is a challenge to me. It is a challenge to me because it means to me I need to be rejoicing more on a daily basis and when things are good. I need to be happier. I need to be counting my blessings. I need to be smiling. I need to be thinking about the good things. Isn't it amazing that we are members of the most prosperous nation in the history of the world and yet we are racked by anxiety and fear and depression? Isn't that amazing? Maybe the issue here is we choose not to rejoice when we have so much to rejoice about. I certainly can't hope to rejoice in suffering if I won't even rejoice when things are good. So Paul and Silas know there's still joy, and that's what makes them sing, even though they're in prison. Second, God still deserves praise. Look in Acts 16 with me, verse 25. Acts 16 and verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. These are songs of praise, hymns to God. And what this reminds us of is that it is always an appropriate time to praise God. So that even when Job, we were just talking about, Job loses everything, what does he do? He falls down and he worships. Blessed be the name of Jehovah. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So we sing because God always deserves for us to sing praises to him. Always. No matter what is going on in our lives, no matter how we are feeling, God always deserves praise. Even when my circumstances are not ideal. This is Ephesians 5, 18 to 20. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul describes hymns, which is the same word from another form of the same word in Acts 16, they are singing hymns to God, he talks about kind of two directions that our songs go in. One is this idea of addressing one another. That is, we sing and we're singing to each other. Sometimes we'll even address one another in the song. 
But the other is that we are making melody to the Lord with our heart. So this is about how we praise God. So there's always those two audiences in our singing. We're singing to each other and we're also singing to God. He deserves the praise. And part of the content here is giving thanks always and for everything. So that there is always an opportunity and a reason to praise God. That's why they sing. So if we don't sing very much, could this be why? Because we're not filling ourselves with the Spirit? These things are not flowing out of us in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's not a lot of gratitude. Could it be that in good times, we're not doing something that then doesn't show up in bad times? Paul also says, this is 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Did you notice the all, always, without ceasing, all circumstances, all the time, these are behaviors we can do because God is always deserving of those praise. I wonder if Paul didn't take that literally and say, you know what, I want to rejoice always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And so when bad things happen, you know what, now's the time to rejoice in the Lord. Now's the time to praise. God deserves my praise. He does today. He will tomorrow. He always will. And that's a reality I tap into when I'm even in a prison cell. Third, God still saves. Look in Acts 16 and verse 25 with me. Acts 16, 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. So they are praying as well. Well, what are they praying about? That seems like a no-brainer to me. I hope it does to you. I just mentioned how they have suffered a tremendous injustice and they are now locked in prison. The word for prayer, this word means to petition God for things that we need. And while we don't know the content of that petition, I think we can at least have an educated guess about it. Do you remember back in Acts chapter 12 when Peter is in prison and the whole church is gathered together praying for Peter? And so the, the night before Peter is supposed to be executed, an angel shows up and leads Peter out of the prison And remember, he comes to the door, and they don't even believe it's him, and so they don't let him in, which is kind of a funny story. The church prays, Peter gets released. Well, what happens in Acts 16 is, Paul and Silas pray, and almost immediately there's going to be a great earthquake. The demeanor of the jailer is changed, so that instead of being locked up, they're going to be taken out and taken to the jailer's house that night, where they're going to teach him the gospel. He's going to wash their wounds, And he and his family are going to be baptized that night. And then he's going to feed them. This is, by the way, not typical jailer behavior. All of that changes. I wonder what they're praying about. It sure seems to me that the same pattern is going on here. When they pray for God's deliverance, God delivers. And that's exactly what happens here in Acts 16. So, what we are reminding ourselves of then is that just because I'm in a bad situation doesn't mean God doesn't do anything or can't do anything or won't do anything. God still saves. Let me remind you of a couple of things that I wonder if Paul had in mind as he is sitting there praying with Silas. This is Psalm 91. Because he holds fast to me in love, this is God speaking, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. This is another one that I found that I think would be really relevant 
to someone like Paul as he is in prison. This is Psalm 107. In Psalm 107, there are different settings in which God shows his power to deliver. It says, some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in affliction and in irons. For they had rebelled against the words of God and spurned the counsel of the Most High. Now, of course, Paul and Silas haven't rebelled against God. That's not why they're in prison. But let's just go with the passage. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble. And he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. I wonder if Paul had a different meaning for this after he had been through this experience. Seeing God deliver the prisoner. Or if you're bigger into brevity, go with James. It's a pretty good general rule, by the way, with James. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So here they are. They are suffering and they are cheerful. So they do both. They pray and they sing. Now, here's the difficulty with this. When you talk about prayer in a moment like this, we don't have any guarantees that God will save us from whatever hardship we are in. And sometimes that makes us a little gun shy in our praying. I'm not sure how much I can pray for God's help with this sickness, pray for God's help with this physical situation, with this financial situation, with this relationship. Because, you know, sometimes God says, no, I'm not going to intervene. And that is certainly God's prerogative. I had a brother who argued with me for a long time, we had a long lunch, that we should not pray for God to intervene in any kind of physical activity because there is the possibility that God just wouldn't do it and then we would be so discouraged that it would be unfruitful. I just want to ask you, is that how God wants us to think? Does God want us to think, you know what, I'm not going to pray about this situation because, I mean, he could say no. It's not the way Paul and Silas thought. They are praying and singing hymns to God because they serve a God who still saves them even when they're in prison cells. And in fact, he does. What makes you sing in a prison cell? The fourth thing I want to show you here is that we still have brothers. Acts 16, verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. There is something powerful about going through hard times and knowing that you are not alone. I've been thinking about this text this week. I just wonder how this started. I wonder if it was Paul. I wonder if Paul just kind of had a tune in his head. You know how we get tunes in our head, songs that we've sing. This is, would be a song that the early Christians sang. Maybe one of the Psalms, because we know, for example, that Ephesians 5 passage, that they would sing Psalms. So it might be something like, I will call upon the Lord. He is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. You get that tune in your head? Maybe hums it, maybe sings it out loud. And then I just wonder, you know, here, here's Silas. I don't know if they could actually turn and see each other. They're in chains. But Silas picks up on it. Maybe they catch each other's eye, start to smile. Because, I mean, after all, a song you've sung that often like that, doesn't it take on a different meaning when you're in a situation like this? I will call upon the Lord. Hey, I think it's time to call upon the Lord 
and be safe from my enemies. Here we are. I wonder if they grinned at each other and they, they got a little louder. I wonder if it was Paul who started praying, saying something like that psalm we read a moment ago, I will bless the Lord at all times. Emphasis on the all times. And when he finishes, Silas says, just start singing, or Silas adds his own prayer. I don't know about you, but I find something so indescribably sweet about that picture. Just these two men, bloody, swollen, beaten up, stripped, bound in chains, but they're lifting their hearts up together to God. There's something that's so much better about doing that, even if it's just one other person, than having to go through it on your own. This is uh, Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. We sharpen each other. We make each other better. We make each other stronger. We have brothers for a reason. This is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. It's kind of become... Uh, popular these days to put this into uh, wedding vows and, and involve it in weddings. It is a statement about the power of more than one. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. You hear in it the, the power of numbers, the power of fellows. And I think it is a powerful text to talk about the bond of Christian brothers and sisters to say that we have a greater reward, we have a greater strength, we are able to lift one another up. We do things for each other that we struggle with alone. One of the great casualties of prosperity is that we forget how much we need to and how much we bond with each other in hard times. There is just something different about when you go through something with someone, when you have a battle to fight, when you have things that you must accomplish. Suddenly, you view them differently. But... When everything is going fine, we start to turn on each other and kind of pick at each other and complain about each other and find fault with each other. I have had to, uh, I've had to grow in this personally. I remember as a, a very young man, uh, when we attended a congregation, <clears throat> it, was, um, it was not that we didn't have other young people, we did. It was just that they weren't the young people that I wanted to be there. So, you know, the, some of them weren't into sports like I was. And some of them, you know, we just didn't have fun conversations like I like to have with my friends. And so, you know, I, I felt like all I needed to do was find fault with them. And, and maybe we should go somewhere else where there were more young people that were of the type that I liked. And then I got a little older, got into college, and uh, it was the same kind of thing. I, I kind of thought that these were people that, I don't know, that they just weren't my best friends, you know. I, I liked other people. I thought other people were cooler. And uh, then I started preaching, and we moved to a congregation where most of the people in the congregation were in their 60s, 70s, and 80s. 
and I was 22. So I had to start to learn that there is something here that's beyond just having best friends who have exactly the same interests as I do and who do things and think and talk just the way I talk and think. And I would say, while I'm not done growing in this, I now have, for my best spiritual friends, a bunch of Razorbacks. (laughs) And that's just strange. But it's a blessing because what's happening is that we are close to people, not because we share all the same interests or we are exactly alike, but because we are brothers and sisters in Christ who have a common goal. And when we work together towards something, in fact, there are tons of studies that have shown, you know, whether we're talking about the military, where you give men an assignment, you give them a task, and suddenly they bond to accomplish the task. Or whether we're talking about people who, who follow the same sports team or live in the same region, whatever it is, people tend to bond together when we have a purpose. So if we can focus on our purpose, even if hardship helps us focus on our purpose, it can be a blessing to us because we will see the value in our brothers instead of critiquing and being frustrated with each other. It's one thing to know intellectually that we have brothers. It is another thing to go through the fire with them. That's what Paul and Silas do. That's what makes them sing. And the last thing I want to show you is that there are still opportunities to serve. Look in Acts 16 and verse 25 with me again. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners were listening to them. My imagining is that this starts with some ridicule. When they start singing, they start making fun of them, telling them to be quiet and all of that. But over time, eventually, they, they quit yelling at them, and they just start to listen. Now, they might even sing the jailer to sleep. Because the jailer is asleep when the earthquake happens. But even he is impressed by them because he rushes in and says, what do I need to do to be saved? But in moments, in moments, their prayers are answered, the tables are turned, hearts are softened, the jailer brings them out of jail and is baptized. Here is what I want to show you from this. If we are in that moment, if I am in that moment, I am just feeling sorry for myself. That's all. It is not thinking about the future. It's not thinking about the Lord and his work. If anything, I'm frustrated with God because I don't know what's going on here. But Paul and Silas, Paul particularly, he has been here before. He knows that the moments of hardship can often be the moments right before a tremendous breakthrough in service. Suffering and difficulty are not the end of our opportunities for service. Sometimes they are gateways to bigger, deeper service opportunities. They change this man's life tonight. This jailer becomes a different man, but they might never have met him if they didn't go to prison. Do you think they thought it was worth it? To suffer what they suffered, but to help and bless this man. So if we will keep our joy and we will keep our spiritual perspective, God will keep opening doors. The struggle here is that instead of looking forward 
instead of trusting God to keep opening doors, we often are looking backward. We're thinking about everything that has happened. Maybe situations we see, oh, I should have done this. I failed in this. I'm disappointed about this. I'm hurt about this. And we have trouble getting over the past, whether it's our own failings or what others have done to us. We are looking backward. We can even be so absorbed in our present situation that we cannot look at what God can do with our present situation. There are still opportunities to serve because Paul and Silas are ready for what's next. The man comes in and says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. I don't know what you're talking about, about saved. I don't know if you mean physically or spiritually. Let me tell you the one thing you need to do. Paul is ready to serve. Paul and Silas show the value of outward focus, serving instead of just focusing on what's happening to me. What is God leading me to next? And how can this get me there? So I hope you'll think about that. I got to tell you, I am inspired by this example. These are men who wrest joy from the jaws of bitterness. They find ways to be positive. And my encouragement to all of us here, let us be a people of joy and of song and of prayer and of community and of service. The kind of people who would sing songs from a prison cell. Might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the invitation of the Lord Jesus. We would love nothing more than to help you to be connected with him. The one who gives us the joy that takes us through all of life, who gives us something to sing about, someone to pray to, brothers and sisters to lean on, the one who opens doors for us to have purpose and meaning in service. And if you're ready to start your journey with him, to be baptized into Christ, have your sins washed away, or if there's any need that you have this morning, please come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.